Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. My guest today is an old friend whom I've been acquainted with for more than 50 years. Of course, we're all getting old. We're old friends in many different ways, just by the number of years and also by, by our actual age. He's a fellow minister, but he's more than that. He's been a person who served beyond his pastoral expectations. He's been a writer, a teacher, a counselor. He's a very caring and sensitive person. His name is Don Hooser. Many of you may have heard that name. I'm sure that many of those listening here know him and maybe have had him as their minister. He served in different parts of the country. He currently lives in Reedsburg, Wisconsin, but he spends his time between Reedsburg and Dallas, Texas. I think that he's had so many varied things here that I could talk about him, but actually I'd like him to talk about himself. So welcome to the Cubic Report, Don. Well, thank you for inviting me, and uh, you truly are, have been a very good friend, and we've had a lot of uh, interactions over the years, and uh, I, which has really benefited me a great deal. So thank you. We have thought about this podcast. What happened is that you commented on another podcast that I had made with, with an acquaintance of yours and from years past, and then we got to talking, and I thought, well, Don has an interesting life, and he has things that he could share with us. So he's had a very varied and eventful life. And his own assessment of himself, of the first words that he used, was, I'm a teacher at heart, and God has blessed me with an understanding of many subjects that I could pass on to others. And, and that's exactly what he's done. So I would like, Don, for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What common things have we had? I know that you're an ambassador college graduate, just as I am. You're three years ahead of me. <laughs> but anyway, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, what I might do in order to um, cover a lot of ground very quickly, I'm in the process of writing my autobiography, which I've considered doing for many years. And I think I'm just going to look at my notes. It's funny looking at notes about my own life here. But this way I can move along pretty rapidly and just kind of give you a little background. I was born in Dallas, Texas, uh, the firstborn of five sons. Uh, from the second grade on, after the World War II ended, we, uh, I grew up in Hughes Springs, Texas, which is a little town in Northeast Texas. All the time I was growing up, though, I had no idea about the nearby church property at Big Sandy, Texas. Uh, I was very active in Boy Scouts and became an Eagle Scout, and I loved the outdoors and spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, I especially love aquatic sports, swimming, water skiing, snorkeling and uh, later on snow skiing. Starting in high school, I thought, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I thought, I would like to have my life devoted to a great cause. But I had no idea what the great cause would be. So I just thought, well, until I find the great cause, I'll just try to make as much money as possible. So I followed my dad's footsteps and to become an engineer and went to SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. and. Uh, Got a degree in mechanical engineering, but it was during my senior year at SMU that uh, I learned about the Church of God and uh, the, the true biblical Church of God. And uh, I, I more I learned, the more excited I became. And I thought, now this I could really devote my life to. This, I think I found my great cause. So I had been offered a job in, uh, in sales engineering, but I quit that to go to Ambassador College. And so I went to Ambassador then for three years. 
Yeah, so I went to Ambassador College and I, and I loved it. And uh, that's also my wife to be was there. And so I graduated on uh, June 3rd and uh, got married on June, two days later on June 5th. And my honeymoon consisted of driving to Akron, Ohio uh, for my first assignment as a ministerial trainee under David Antion, which I was thrilled about that as well, because I he was a a minister who I greatly admired and respected. And uh, so he was a great mentor for me. Uh, we spent two years in uh, Akron and then the next six years after that in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm. So that was, uh, things were going very, very well. I married Elsie Hansen mm-hmm. and we were married for 54 plus years. And then she died in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so that was a great loss. My present wife, whom I've been married to for like a little over 17 months, she had lost her husband about the same time. And somehow we got connected, uh, and started, uh, emailing and doing zoom meetings and all. And primarily we were just trying to comfort one another and share our thoughts about grieving. Mm-hmm. And, but we just kept on communicating and enjoyed communicating and, uh, became good friends. And then by the summer, then we were falling in love and decided to get married. So we were married on January the 1st, 2022. So I'm blessed with another wonderful marriage. I'm very thankful uh, for that. I know that when we heard the news about Don marrying, we were all so happy. We we all cheered. Yes. I I never expected to get married again uh, at my age and all. And uh, Judy didn't expect to get married again either. But uh, it's worked out wonderfully, and I'm, we feel very blessed by God for leading us in this direction. So we're very happy. And we're snowbirds, so we we I have a house in McKinney, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. She Her house here is in Breedsburg, Wisconsin. So we spend about six months during the summer up here in Wisconsin and about six months in Texas and during the winter. So we have great weather that way year-round. So it's working out really well in that way. Yeah, you showed me some uh, video. You turned your camera around and showed your environment there where you live. This brings back happy memories of the Wisconsin Dells area and the rolling hills of Wisconsin. During the time that I was um, in uh, Cincinnati uh, from um, 1968 to to 74, uh, there was some, as you know, there was phenomenal growth in in the church, and so we were very busy. We scheduled baptisms for every other Saturday night. And we'd have six to eight people usually to baptize every other Saturday night. And that's how fast the, the church was growing at that time. And it was also fascinating that because of the uh, growth, especially in that area, it was chosen for various experiments for preaching the gospel and, and advertising the church and so forth. And so America Listen came to Cincinnati and some other special programs came there. So it was an exciting time. And the church started on the west side of Cincinnati And then there were two churches, and then there was one across the Ohio River in northern Kentucky, and that was considered Cincinnati South. And then uh, it was decided there was a need for a church on the east side of Cincinnati. So Cincinnati East started with 400 people in attendance. I was the first pastor. I was appointed to be the pastor. So I was the first pastor for Cincinnati East, which uh, really is a a delight for me. Where did the church meet at that time? Uh, It pretty close to pretty close to that uh, to Holiday Inn uh, 
uh, in a, uh, I think it was a, B, a BFW hall, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of south southwest of uh, where the that Holiday Inn is that we've used for ch- uh, church activities a lot. Well, I'm here in Batavia, Ohio, or Batavia address, and probably three miles from that Holiday Inn. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. And uh, right, got a lot of memories of that area. And we built a house. Um, we always rented. We built a house and got to live in it for a year, and then I got transferred to Nebraska. So it was that was really sad, but I was glad to go wherever they, the church wanted me to go. Well, those were the days that were quite different from right now. Big growth. The same thing was true with me three years later. Uh, I probably would be in the ministry if it wasn't for a lot of growth that was taking place and they had a need for, for more more people in, in the ministry. But I recall we had just a lot of new contacts, new people that were very, very interested. Yes, the uh, thinking of large numbers, for the first five years, our site for the Feast of Tabernacles was in um, Mount Pocono, Pennsylvania. As you know, the uh, the numbers of, in attendance were very high, like 12 to 15,000 people. Mm-hmm. And uh, two services a day, and they wanted an elder to be in charge. Of course, I wasn't a church pastor yet at that time. uh, So they put me in charge of parking and traffic control. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, I I would plan way ahead of time and draw up written instructions. I had a hundred, each each year I had 120 men working under me. I would have one shift of uh, 60 in the morning and one shift of 60 men in the afternoon. Uh to direct traffic and, and get the cars parked. And uh, so it was an amazing time. You know, that was is amazing because the same was true with Minneapolis. The Minneapolis churches were responsible for parking at the Wisconsin Dells, which also had, you know, a massive attendance. I'm not sure exactly how much, probably 10,000 or so. And we, I know, remember very well, we had over 120 people on the cruise working for parking. <laughs> Well, that's that's what I thought, and then uh, after that, we we were assigned to uh, Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri uh, for a couple of years, and they thought, oh, this guy's ex- experienced in directing traffic and parking. So <laughs> I was again in charge of traffic and parking at Lake of the Ozarks, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny. So uh, we were two years in um, Akron, six years in Cincinnati, eleven years in Nebraska. And then uh, a total of, let's see, uh, 13 years, in, no, no, next six years in Oklahoma, next uh, 13 years in Texas, next uh, six years in the state of Washington, and then in, it moved to back to Dallas, Texas to be near family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so back home again. And uh, so the, uh, the church became shorthanded because of a, a disruption and split in the church. And uh, so... Denny Luker, actually what happened is in the summer of 2010, uh, Denny Luker, who was kind of the regional pastor for that Northwest area, he said, Don, he said, uh, I know you're planning to move back to Texas next summer in 2011, but there's going to be a big split in the church and we're going to lose some ministers in Texas, especially. And uh, so would you just move immediately (laughs) as soon as possible? And so I thought, whoa. So we uh, we got in high gear and found the house to buy uh, remotely. 
and then uh, I bought the house and then moved in December, which is a unusual time to to move, but it was just in time to help out with the, uh, the church at that time. And so that all worked out. By the way, I have had three children. My firstborn was a daughter, Amy, and then the next was son Randy, and next was the son Danny. Mm-hmm. So uh, they've all been were good kids, and I'm very thankful how sometimes God does work through families. My three of my brothers, one died, one of my brothers died when he was very young at three and a half years old. Mm-hmm. But my three other brothers, one by one, came into our church, and then and then all my children stayed with the church. So uh, I felt very, very blessed in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that is a blessing when you can, you know, have the same values, but also you can fellowship together. You have the same things to talk about. You have the same values. It's hard to explain sometimes to, to people, but that is a very big blessing. Oh, yes. The most important way to be compatible is spiritually. And uh, so I'm very, very grateful for that. Now, in your life here, in your pastoral work, you know, we know what that is. And you can kind of just stay and do that. I mean, visiting people, preparing sermons, uh, sometimes writing a newsletter. But it seems like you branched out quite a bit from that as you realize that uh, you like to write. And we see your name, your byline on so many articles, not only your sermons, but also on articles. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about how you branched out and what kind of writing and uh, what you did with it. Well, it is interesting how God was sort of guiding me. Uh, you know, I majored in engineering when I first went to college because I like math and science, but I also did well in English. And um, so I began to write while I was pastoring churches, uh, but I was writing more and more. And uh, so it, I think it was in 2007 when Peter Eddington, the uh, director of our media and communications departments, uh, he... Uh, he asked that I'd be switched to being uh, just to helping out as a like an associate pastor, but to work directly for media and communications as a full-time writer. Mm-hmm. So then I was spending most of my time writing, which I love. You know, I, again, I still could work out of my home, and and uh, I I came to realize I wish I came to understand how much uh, God could use me in writing earlier in life but so it's kind of like halfway through my life i realized well this is my perhaps my greatest strength is in in writing so i became a full-time writer and then what what one thing that really helped me is that back in 1998 the church was in a financial crisis and a, a, a lot of ministers were asked to go on half salary which meant they would be still be doing their pastoral work pastoring churches but at the same time, needing to get another job to supplement their income. So I first considered uh, becoming a school teacher, but then what happened is I walked into a newspaper office and I said, do you ever need another reporter? And he said, "Uh, yes, I said, "Uh, we do, as a matter of fact. And uh, he said, "Uh, do you have a degree in journalism? And I said, no. And he said, have you taken, uh, if you taken journalism, courses and I says well I took a one semester course one time so he kind of rolled his eyes like oh brother this you know he was very skeptical that I could write (laughs) he said well he says I tell you what he says we have a a school board meeting tonight and uh, we don't have a reporter to cover that so he said would you would you go there 
and uh, come back and and report on it, write an article about the, the, all the things that were covered in the meeting, and uh, and then we'll see see how you do. So I came back and and the next day he said, he said "Wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty good." So anyway, pretty soon I was hired as a, a what they considered full time uh, reporter, which meant that I would write at least three articles a week. And the way that would happen is we would usually be going to meetings and uh, taking notes and then reporting on it, but, but it needed to be in the next morning's paper. Mm-hmm. So I would come back to the newspaper office about oh, 9.30 or 10 and start writing, and I could not leave until the article was done. So I had to learn to write fast as well. So I think I wrote about 100 articles for the paper that uh, that year. So that was really good experience. And it uh, it taught me uh, a different kind of writing as well, a more journalistic type writing. What did what did you learn? I mean, what did you feel like you learned above just reporting the facts? Well, I, I don't I don't remember very well how to give a good answer to that question. I know I certainly learned to write quickly and to form my thoughts quickly and, and to and to write in shorter uh, sentences and also to uh, to cover what's most important right from the, the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, newspaper writing, you not everybody wants to read all the way to the end of an article. So mm-hmm. you want to cover what's more necessary at the beginning and then as you get to the points that are less and less important later on. Well, that doesn't hold true completely for writing for a magazine or something, but but uh, that's one of the things, of, of course, and uh, learning to, to think, well, what is important? Uh, you know, is this clear? Is uh, people of all different backgrounds and educational levels, are they going to be able to understand this clearly? So I, I, I guess the most important thing is I, I've tried to always be focused on clarity so that uh, anybody can quickly understand what I'm saying and not be confused or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that goes for anything I I do I do writing too, and I uh, ha- have to go back and say you know, what is what does that mean? <laughs> and be, it has to be absolutely crystal clear because I know what it might mean, but it has to be something which also uh, just a passerby can figure out where it's going. Right, and I've also uh, tended to focus on practical matters, practical applications like Christian living more so than just theological and, and uh, uh, philosophical things. But I, uh, I like to explain biblical matters as well. And uh, so I've, I've written on uh, quite a variety of, of subjects. Uh, I think you and I plan to do a, a podcast on all kinds of addictions and personal problems and struggles that people go through. Because as time went along, I, uh, I, I came to be more involved uh, with those subjects, partly because many of my extended family members were involved in various kinds of addictions, mm-hmm. alcohol, smoking. Uh, my own parents ended up getting a divorce uh, because of my dad's alcoholism. I saw uh, other relatives uh, getting involved in alcoholism and, and uh, my mother and my grand, one of my grandfathers and one of my uncles all died of emphysema because of smoking. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So I wrote an article on smoking, and that's still the primary uh, reprint article that is sent out when people inquire about overcoming smoking or what what we think about smoking. Uh, it's, it's the article I wrote a long time ago that is the one that is uh, uh, sent out about that. Mm-hmm. And then another thing, another way that you and I work together is that uh, in Dallas, Texas, uh, there were some people who were traveling way over from Fort Worth to Dallas to attend my church, even though it was not the closest congregation, because they, the pastor did not understand the importance of uh, how some people are highly sensitive to fragrances, the mm-hmm. chemicals in, in most colognes and perfumes and deodorants and hairsprays and stuff like that. And they were coming over to my, because I announced to my church, my congregation, that, uh, you know, let's let's come to church without any scented products. Mm-hmm. And uh, that way the people could attend church services. So I realized that most most of our people, and most, including most of our ministers, did not understand that subject and the seriousness of it very well. So I did some research and even went to a, a doctor uh, at a clinic, a doctor at a clinic who specialized in treating people with respiratory problems to interview him what he thought about it. He said, he, he said if, if everybody quit wearing scented products, he said, I would lose half of my patients because he says about half my patients are here because of the, their reactions to scented products. Mm-hmm. So after doing some research, I wrote this uh, article. Uh, and I, it was, t- let's say, a title, Colognes, Chemicals, Church, and Compassion. I think the four C's. I like alliteration. <laughs> I do remember. And, uh, I do remember that. And you were so helpful because you understood it, and you were wanting to support this, and uh, you offered to not only put my article on your personal website, but to, uh, but to even add other things to corroborate it on your website, and uh, and so you certainly helped to promote that. And so between between you and me. <laughs> We sort of educated the church, and so it, it did start a, quite a revolution of people coming to understand uh, that subject. And uh, and now, of course, virtually everybody understands it, and and, uh, and most or maybe all of our congregations recommend that people come without scented products. Well, yeah, I know it used to be where you know years ago, I remember people would wear these colognes, you know, these big brand name, you know, uh, colognes. But I know right now in the workplace. And we've asked people not to wear uh, anything uh, because there's just one person down the hall, you know, could be suffering from it and could be really isolating himself. It's just so unfair. So it's because you give off this aura that goes, you know, office to office. And and I, I didn't realize how people can react very, very, even violently to it. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. You know, people can just feel terribly sick. Well, Don, I do remember that uh, we had that little working together off of the cubic.org website. I'm going to go back there and see if those articles are still there. I wonder if they are. Well, you know, I think some of the articles that I wrote for Christian Living Magazine, and you've, you've always been quite a pioneer. Uh, and, you know, we didn't have enough uh, publications to really cover all the subjects especially practical christian living subjects that needed to be covered 
And so you started Christian Living Magazine. And so for a while, that was the uh, the main publication I think I was writing for. And uh, and um, I know that we had a lot of readership. Well, you know, you're, you're probably thinking about virtual Christian Magazine. Where, well, oh, was, yeah, okay. Because well, I guess, well, maybe that is the same thing. Um, yeah, we had, uh, I, I was, uh, when I started my website, in 1996, uh, I just saw something about e-zines, you know, electronic magazines. And I thought, hey, this is hard to do. And then we, I thought, it'd be nice to have kind of a guideposts version electronically. This is 1996. This is a long time ago, pushing 30 years ago, uh, that uh, we started that. And I remember that you very, very um, graciously offered, offered to write, you know, for it. And I, I'm going to go look those uh, articles up. Yes, uh, I I think that was a very valuable service for readers at that time. And uh, so that was 1996, you say, when that? Yeah, I started in 1996, and then uh, yeah, and then and I, I think you're right. I think it was virtual, yeah, virtual Christian, virtual Christian magazine. That was the t- title of it, right? Because it was a magazine at that time with just electronic things, you know, of any length being posted was, was a big deal. Right now, you know, memory and speed and everything is just so cheap and everything, but that was a big event. And, you know, you only had so much space that you could put things on and pictures had to be either non-existent or just very tiny. And I remember we kind of pioneered in that way, but then I had that turned over to the church. I basically uh, had the church take over Virtual Christian Magazine, and then it kind of blended into other publications finally. Yes, that's what I thought. I want to mention another way that you and I uh, interacted, and that is that uh, I always made it clear to the church that if, whenever I would get transferred, uh, would they transfer me closer to Texas? Because my parents were in Texas, and I and uh, I knew they were really getting up in age, and they weren't going to live forever. And uh, so, so I said, whenever you transfer me, please transfer me in the direction of Texas. So. <laughs> I was in Nebraska for 11 years, and then I got transferred to Oklahoma, and I thought, well, this is great. I'm going in the right direction. And so I was there in uh, in Oklahoma for six years. And then um, and my parents were really uh, getting up in age by that time. And uh, so you called me up in uh, 1991, and, uh, and you said, Don, I'm offering you – were, you were the assistant uh, – manager of ministerial services or something like that yeah for worldwide church of god yeah yeah worldwide church of god at that time and so you said uh, i'm offering to transfer you to pastor a church in dallas texas and i said well how can that be because i said i know the two men who are pastoring churches in dallas and they've only been there a short time and they're certainly not due for a transfer and you said you said, well, there's so much growth in the Dallas and Fort Worth area that we're starting an, another congregation. It's going to be Dallas South. And we're, we're going to let you uh, pastor it. And, uh, and you told me, you said there are several men who have made it clear that if they get transferred, they would like to go to Dallas. Mm-hmm. And but he, he said, you said, I know you've wanted for a long time to get closer and closer to Dallas to be with your parents and to help them out. And so we're offering it to you. And so I thought I'd, I just, uh, 
I was so grateful for that. So sure enough, for the next 10 years, I was pastoring in Dallas. And uh, sure enough, during that time, um, I was my parents were needing more and more help. So I was there when my mother died. And then I was there when my father died. And I was there when my mother-in-law died, conducted all their funerals. And and also, I was very, very blessed in that way. Well, I do I do recall recall those days and the desire for so many to go to Dallas. Denver was another very popular spot that people were lined up for. And there were places in Florida as well. So. Uh, I'm so glad that that opportunity took place and I had a chance to visit you one time down there. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and of course, it was while I was there in Dallas that uh, what I call church quake happened. Uh, the leadership of our Worldwide Church of God uh, was influenced by others to revert back to Protestant Christianity and, and, uh, and it's like it totally changed the church. And this was all announced at the beginning of January of 1995. And so I hung in there to give a few sermons, but then in in March, I resigned from employment. And I think you'd resigned that same month, didn't you? I did at March 3rd, 1995. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was going to do either. We, there was no talk as yet about starting a, a church to replace it replace what we had had for many years. And so I thought, well, I don't know what my occupation is going to be, but uh, I certainly can't stay and represent this organization anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I resigned. Of course, I was thrilled when I learned about this meeting up near Indianapolis to form what was not something brand new, but basically a continuation of the, the church that we had known and loved. Yeah, contend for the faith once delivered. <laughs> we had uh, that; th th those were quite the days. You know, you know, Don. I'm writing kind of a history of that uh, time uh, of uh, leaving Worldwide Church of God and also being the start of United Church of God. I might just mention this here too. Uh, I've written chapter one, and I got chapter two just about done here, and it's going to come out in kind of a format, serial format, on my cubic.org website. But I do want to tell that story because I was very much involved in what I call ground zero. I was right there where it was happening in the Worldwide Church of God. And then when United started, I was very much involved with the start of that. So it's a, after 26, after 27 years, it's, you know, feelings have died down. And, and I think we can tell the story rationally of, to explain to people what happened at that time. Yes. You know, the, the feeling I had was like I had been deserted by my mother. I mean, I I don't think of the church as a mother in, in the theological sense or anything like that, but as far as just the the presence, God's presence is not only through his spirit, but through his church. And uh, it's like the church is right here and very visible and here to help us in many ways. And uh, I thought, this feels like I've been abandoned by my mother. And so when we started United Church of God, I thought, oh, Another mother has adopted me. <laughs> and so my first sermon in you immediately after when I, when I got back from Indianapolis, because Elsie and I both were able to uh, be there for the uh, that planning meeting in, and uh, in near Indianapolis. And so the first sermon I gave when I got back to Dallas was it's like I feel like I have a new mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was thrilled. Well, we were, churches, 
relationships. You know, we're not to forsake the assembly. The assembly is so very, very important. It's not just knowing things or knowing the Bible, but it's your community. And our community was the church. And then when we had that pretty much turn on us or in a way abandon us or abandon what we believed or what so many believed, it was a very traumatic time because our religion is very, very important to us. It's not just membership in a club of some kind. It was, it's really goes down to the very heart of your identity. Oh, absolutely. Get a little bit to where you started working with uh, Breaking Free. Maybe I'm jumping ahead too much, uh, you know, f- further than, than you wanted to at this point. But you began to work with addictions. What we said, we posted things on, on my website. It was kind of an unofficial place, you know, where we posted things, but it was very popular. Many, many people uh, looked at that, read that, and even contributed to it. What did that lead to, and uh, breaking free, what was that? Okay, uh, in fact, I knew we would want to get into that subject, and so I went back and found the article that I had written and was published in December of 2011, and the title of the article is How Breaking Free Journal Began, and so I'm, I'm looking at uh, at that article now to, to remind myself of the steps that, that were involved in, but uh, there was another, there was a website called Anchor. Mm-hmm. It was started in 1994 by some church members who were trying to provide guidance and help for fellow church members who were struggling with SSA, same-sex attraction or homosexuality. And, uh, and then as time went along, uh, they it was decided that uh, branch out to help with a lot of other uh, personal problems and and unusual situations and in, including addictions and so at some point along uh, Melvin Rose who I greatly respected was managing editor for uh, Breaking Free. And by the way, since I spent six years in the state of Washington, I also was influenced a lot by Denny Luker, who always also was quite a pioneer in looking into various things uh, like understanding homosexuality and, and all. And uh, of course, I don't mean activism or anything. I just mean people who, who can't, can't help it. They, as long as they can remember since they were childhood, they've always had the same sex attraction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was it's sad that some some people in our church spoke very uh, sarcastically and disrespectfully and, you know, like they were some kind of a low life uh, and and being very critical of them for something that, that they couldn't help. If somebody told me they were going to shoot me, if I didn't have same-sex attraction, they'd just, I'd, I'd just have to say, shoot me. <laughs> was, it'd be, it's impo- it would be impossible for me to have same-sex attraction. And somebody who has true same-sex attraction his whole life he can't help that either. So, you know, I wanted people to understand that. Anyway, when I discovered Breaking Free, I contacted Melvin Rose and I said, you know, I'm really impressed with what you're doing. But I said, I see that your website is way behind. And he says, well, he says, I feel bad about that. But he says, I just don't have any help uh, with, uh, you know, editing and posting and different things. And he said, uh, he said, that's my problem. I says, well, I says, I don't know much about computers and, and I'm no expert on any of these subjects, but, but, uh, I said, if I can be of help, uh, I'll be glad to, well, he welcomed that. And so I began assisting him. Well, then in, uh, 2000, 
2010, December of 2010, uh, Melvin called me and said he had become overwhelmed with other responsibilities to continue being the managing editor. So would I take over the responsibility? And Denny Luker had approved of that. So I thought if I said no, I'd be swallowed by a whale. <laughs> so, uh, so I said, okay, I'll do the best I can. So I've been the managing editor for Breaking Free ever since. And that primarily, the rule for Breaking Free is that we all articles must be written by a member of United Church of God. I mean, obviously there's many sources uh, that person could go to on these subjects, but we want it to be more personal about what our own members have experienced or they've seen happening in their own families and things like that. And so uh, my main action, you might say, as managing editor is to receive articles and then edit them because a lot of people are not experienced in writing and then uh, do whatever editing is necessary and then send it back and forth with the author until the author is and I are both satisfied with the wording and then I post it. And so that's what's been happening uh ever since that time and uh and, and it's expanded and uh in fact i was talking to peter eddington who's still the, the department head for media and communications for united church of god and i was talking to him about how that increasingly uh people have become unaware even our own members have become unaware of breaking free and part of the problem is that we have so many things on our website that it's a little bit difficult to find Breaking Free on the United Church of God website. So I said, uh, I said, Peter, what do you think about my writing an article for United News explaining what it is and inviting members to contribute? And he said, oh, he says, I think that's a great idea. And I said, well, I might even post something on Elders Forum for the ministers to be more aware of Breaking Free. So we're gonna try to gin up uh, awareness and interest in uh, breaking free again uh, because it does give such practical support and encouragement and guidance and ideas to people on various subjects well i know that uh, i checked because uh, i went through it the last couple of days knowing that we're go going to be doing this uh, podcast and uh, i'm looking at those same articles that you're talking about how breaking free journal began and they still have old links there that you know are from the obsolete old site. The the new one is there. And what we'll do on this podcast is in the notes that accompany this podcast, we'll put the URL there for this uh, for the breaking free, so uh, people can more easily get there. But I'm sure that you get it all organized a little bit better. There'll be just a m more streamlined way to get to it. But there are a lot of good articles that are written in kind of blog fashion, just one on top of another. And I think there are going to be things there that will be very useful to people with various dysfunctions and addictions. Yes. Um, as you know, the church is working on, uh, our church is working on um, revamping in major ways our website, ucg.org. And I guess the new new website or the new format is going to be coming out sometime this fall. And I'm hoping, because I'm going to keep plugging for this, I'm hoping that um, 
it's going to be easier and more obvious uh, to find a breaking free at that time. So we'll see. Right. Well, I'm sure sure it will. But I know that uh, what we want to talk about. And by the way, I just want to tell our audience this is part one of. I don't know how many podcasts we'll do, but we'll do a couple of podcasts, two or three, having to do with topics that people might be interested in dealing with you know, addictions because Don has been so involved in writing about these areas and writing it from the particular viewpoint that has been very, very helpful as addictions, dysfunctions have kind of gone through a real process of how they're treated and how they're looked at now from the way things were 15 15, 20 years ago. So anyway, we have Breaking Free up, and I'm looking forward to having more traffic there and more interest. And if you do an article for the church newspaper, uh, the United News, that would be great. Well, that's the tentative plan. Okay. Well, you know, I think that we'll uh, kind of stop at this point. We've got to come to uh, a point of where we can move on to uh, more specifics next time that, that, that we talk. Is there anything more that you would like to say, Don, at this time? No, I, uh, I'd love to serve in any way I can. And, uh, and so if I can be of help with a couple of podcasts like this, um, then uh, I, I'm very happy about that. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, I think that we're both in the same boat. We're both retired. Uh, we both have a lifetime history, a career in the things that we did that were more than just pastoral. They branched out into, like in your case, teaching and, and that kind of thing. And I have had my, my things. And I think that we can provide a specialty service of people that have uh, say consulting abilities or abilities to see things based on experience. What may be a good direction to go, what may not be a good direction to go. So I think that we need to keep talking about this. Yes, I just want to say w one more thing, and that is that uh, you became a prolific writer. I, first of all, you were a pioneer in, in starting a uh, podcast uh, as president of uh, United Church of God for nine years. And then, uh, and then I'm so glad you've continued to have podcasts even after uh, not being in that role as president of the church. And... Um, and uh, I commented to you one time, one of the last times that I saw you, I thought, I said, I said, I don't see how you do it. You were putting out a fairly lengthy letter to the church almost every week. And it's one thing to write an article where you spend a month, you know, writing it. But I said, you're putting out a lot of writing uh, every week. And uh, so I, um, I don't know how you've done it, but uh, you've certainly written a, a ton of communications to the people in our church well there's just different things that need to be communicated to different people and uh i write all, all the time you know i'm always <laughs> scribbling things down and so anyway thank you very much don it's just been very very great i think that we'll end it here and then we'll uh, uh go on and do a part two here in short order okay great okay don thank you thank you thank you so much Thank you for listening to us today on The Cubic Report. We welcome you to share this podcast and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, and many other platforms. You can easily find us at any browser address box by typing in the words 
the Cubic Report, and there we are. Remember, Cubic is spelled K-U-B-I-K. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at vcubic at gmail.com. That's V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.